And welcome to Superhouse. Once again, I am Ben Juan, the man who knows too much about Batman, and I'm joined by... Greetings all, it is Andrew. Thank you, Ben, for allowing me on this podcast. <laughs> this is your podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is our podcast. <laughs> your equipment. I'm in your house. <laughs> and uh, today we I'm are... I'm happy to be here. <laughs> anyway, we're, we're here to talk not about Batman, but about what? the many ladies in Batman. Batman's life, specifically the ones. Well, what about the Birds of Prey? Eh. <laughs> no, okay, I'm ready. <laughs> Apparently, that was the reception <laughs> to the movie as well in the box office. What I thought about the movie was better than eh. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll get yeah. into. It. All right, so uh, okay. today, yes, this is our deep dive into uh, Birds of Prey, uh, also known as Harley Quinn. Birds of Prey, also known as Harley Quinn, and the uh, emancipation of one fantabulous Harley Quinn. This movie is currently. In transition to the new title, <laughs> to, to many, to many different titles. But this is yeah. a movie that uh, Andrew and I saw on opening night. Yes, um, we were there Thursday preview night, whatever yes. that's called. So uh, we did our jobs, America. Where the fuck were you watching this? <laughs> <laughs> we saw it in IMAX. We we saw it in IMAX to a theater. I mean, the theater wasn't empty, but we looked around and we were like, man, like yeah. this was not like Shazam was more crowded. The parking lot was also like so easy, which was great. But I, you could tell when you yeah. parked at the mall. We see that at the mall, guys. <laughs> um, like it was, you know, like. Not crowded, yeah. even there. So it was I just, weird. Yeah, I slid right into the parking space that was like right next to the theater. I was like, this has never happened before. Yeah, this shouldn't happen. Yeah, exactly. What gives? I don't know, but if you haven't seen the movie, <laughs> then we're about to spoil the fuck out of it. So please watch the movie. You've been warned. Then come back. Uh, but let's do a short review about what we felt about the uh, Birds of Prey movie now that we had seen it. It's been a couple weeks, but what do you think? Okay. Uh, well... I liked it. It is ultimately a thumbs up, not a resounding thumbs up, but uh, fight scenes were great. The The story was mostly great, um, and it, it's DC having fun. DC having fun with it. It's cool to see not like a... I mean, she was wearing ridiculous shit, but at the same time, she wasn't like super overly sexualized, I think. I don't think any of them were, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that shows a difference with the, with mm-hmm. the female... D- with a woman director and all of that. I think ultimately, and I thought about this for a while, I was like, what's this movie missing? And it kind of felt like the Harley Quinn's character arc mm-hmm. ultimately doesn't really have that much impact. Well, she learns to accept to have a kid. Like, is that her right. journey? Like, yeah, like that was a little, I think not that could have been better, but I did. I'm a big fan of the humor. I thought I like that mm-hmm. kind of like, I love everybody knows I like Jim Carrey. I like a human Looney Tunes type of humor, and that's what Harley Quinn was a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. So maybe that annoys some people, but I like it. I like Deadpool too. It's not exactly the same humor as Deadpool, but I liked. I appreciate yeah. that. There's a lot I liked about the movie. I I'm actually sad that it's not doing that well at the box office. Mm-hmm. I do think it's the title. It is the title. A lot of people say it's not, but I think even though there was a series back in the day, and I'm sure we'll get into this. Yeah. Birds of Prey is not really that popular, man. I agree. Yeah. And I know this. I know that the studios probably wants to make it popular, like Marvel did with Iron Man, mm-hmm. but it just doesn't have it. Wonder Woman has got it. Yeah. I think that um, Jessica, the Green Lantern. Yeah. Like, if you want to have more, more, more woman characters, do that. 
people are going to complain. Where's Hal Jordan? Fuck that. At least I think I think that's a better character though. Like Birds of Prey. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. Something about it's well, kind of weak and to me. Well, Jessica, like you would have to call it the Green Lantern movie first, or Green Lantern Jessica yeah. Cruz, not just Jessica Cruz, because everyone's like, who the hell's Jessica? Yeah, Cruz? who the heck is that? Yeah, yeah. but yeah. no, I, I absolutely agree with you. Yeah, uh, on that too. Like Harley Quinn is the not only the main character but she's the main draw of this everyone wants to see like that's a big reason why suicide squad was such a hit people care about harley quinn people don't really care that much about birds of prey they did a pretty good job about their backstories in this movie Mm -hmm. but well just they just don't i don't know they don't just i don't know why there's so much focus on trying to make birds of prey work like from a from a if i'm if i'm wearing my warner brothers producer hat Mm -hmm. why is this happening it's 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 weird. Yeah, I, I think they should have been Harley Quinn, and they used this to introduce the Birds of Prey. And when this was hoped to be a hit, then they can do a Birds of Prey movie as a spinoff of these characters. Exactly. But this is exactly people don't really have a reason to care about these characters or know about these characters unless they're already fans of these characters. Yeah. But you're trying to get new fans. You're trying to get people to latch on to these new people who we haven't seen on screen or at least on the big screen for a very long period of time, right. if ever. You, you want to make sure that, like, it, it's not something that, that um, it, it can't be the main draw. Right. Because they have no reason to be the main draw yet. That's It wasn't smart marketing on that point. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, I don't know what they could have done, like, if they made just, just a Harley Quinn story. I mean, her breaking up with the Joker is obviously a good starting mm-hmm. point. And like her emancipation, like I get that's her story arc, but I mean it could have just been the same movie, just with the title, just Harley Quinn. Yeah, exactly. Just make it. Uh, yeah, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, it's yeah. it's just there's just such undue focus on mm. on Birds of Prey, yeah. man. I don't get it. I don't get it at all. Like Huntress looks cool in the comics. She was pretty funny in this. Um, right, but I, I wouldn't know, expect but it's, her to it's be just, a main draw. She's not a box office draw, the Huntress. Not yet. I mean, they just, look, you could do anything. They make Guardians of the Galaxy like super popular, but it's just well, yeah. But I don't also, know. I don't Guardians know. Guardians of the Galaxy was super popular because of the reputation of the MCU. Yeah, that's the true. MCU's reputation was the same as DC and an insanely ECU. good trailer. Yeah, those first few trailers for Guardians of the Galaxy was like this is different. Mm-hmm. This has style and character oozing out of its pores. Right. You know, mm-hmm. so it, it had the it had the brand, it had brand loyalty plus the uh, the really great trailer. Right, right. So uh, I think I I'm, I pretty much agree with you one hundred percent on this. I think yeah. that uh, it was it was definitely fun. The action sequences were great. I agree with you completely though that Harley's story is kind of muddled. Yeah, uh, yes, considering yes. that. Uh, it's kind of like, oh, it's about my emancipation from Joker. I'm just like, yeah, but in the beginning, Joker breaks up with you. You don't break up with right, Joker. Right, And then the whole movie, it's like she's trying to prove that she can stand on her own, and Black Mask sort of taunts her with that at the end, but yeah. she never really proves to him that she can. Yeah. Uh, and then it's just like, is it about her standing on her own? Because she clearly needed this kid in order to take out Black Mask. Then it, so it's about her trying to care for the kid. It's about her not needing a man, and I'm not saying that making fun of her. I think that's a good story arc, but it's. But I'm not really know? sure if that's what it was either. Yeah, okay. I don't think that's yeah. what they were trying to say yeah. either, because she never really said like I need a man in my life. She she was just more like I need to prove uh, that I can. I mean, she didn't even say that often either. The whole like I need to prove to be away from the Joker type of thing. It was more of. Um, 
her trying to figure out how to survive. She was kind of forced into a lot of things. Yeah. She didn't really yeah. have... Uh, she was never really in a situation where she got to choose a lot of things. Right. She doesn't choose to break out with Joker. Joker breaks out with her. She doesn't choose to go up against Black Mask. Black Mask goes after her. Right. She doesn't choose necessarily to protect Cassandra until the very end. Um, or when she chose to like not protect her. But she was kind of forced into that in order to survive. Again, she keeps getting yeah. forced into these decisions. Yeah. Uh, in it, which is uh, surprising considering that this is a movie. I mean, it is about emancipation. So maybe the whole point was like maybe she's forced the whole time. And then at the end, she finally gets to make a choice. But again, it wasn't quite clear. She uh, has an entwining character arc with uh, Cassandra Kane. Right. Most, most connected to her. And it just doesn't have the impact that it should have. Like, she's just kind of mean to her up until the very end. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? <laughs> and suddenly and I, she's like, she's like my daughter. I'm like, I know I, that's the point. Weird. She's not a hero. She's pretty much an anti-hero at this mm-hmm. point. But it's just like this This uh, screenwriter wrote Bumblebee, mm-hmm. which Christina Hines, yeah. she knocked it out of the park, in my opinion. You have, a, uh, I'm, I'm coining the term, entwining character arc with Bumblebee and the girl, the lead girl in the movie. And there's just this beautiful scene in the end where it's just like, thank you for letting me, helping me find my voice. Bumblebee says that. And then her, she says something I can't remember, but it was really great. Mm -hmm. And like, it was all wrapped up in such a great package. It was all leading up to this emotional scene and it works so well. And it, 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 we didn't get that with this. And I was kind of expecting that to happen with Cassandra Cain. You know, I think that's really what the the biggest minus here was. I, I'm wondering as well how much of that was studio interference because I knew that yeah. there was a lot of reshoots yeah. uh, and some of it was the action stuff as well. And it definitely paid off, at least from the action standpoint. She's a first time big like AAA movie director. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe they didn't trust her with some things. I don't know. Yeah. I don't I mean, know for don't sure. Know. I haven't read that, but it's just, just you know, first time, lots of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, involved. potentially. I another thing that I think would have helped with Harley's story, and this may be controversial, but I think this needed the Joker in it. Because yeah. it's about her freedom from him and it seems just very obvious we're just like, Oh, we can't show him, we can't yeah. show this or, yeah. or that but I'm like there's not really an arc with her and Black Mask. They both hate each other in the beginning. Yes. And then she kills yes. him at the end. Like there's no forward momentum and like McGregor is yes. great in this role and we'll go into that later, but Yes, exactly. I'm like, he's not really the villain in this they like, don't really the real connect villain. yes it's right there's such a disconnect between them yeah i'm just like yeah. he like maybe if if they had to do this maybe he was like her best friend and she like just like okay well i clearly need somebody protecting me so yeah. black mask is like my you know my gay bff yeah, <laughs> on this, yeah. and yeah. Uh, he can protect me and then later on she's like oh no fuck this guy and then yeah. she goes up against him but no like it's like they hate each other from day one there's no arc whatsoever between her and this villain as opposed to the the arc that we saw in the comics where Harley breaks from Joker and she decides to be her own woman away right. from him. Uh, it seems like she was forced into that because Joker, for whatever reason, breaks up with her in the beginning, which doesn't quite make sense to me because you would think he'd always want her to keep her around yeah. so that you know he can manipulate her or get some validation from her or use her as like an extra hostage or something to hold over Batman's head in terms of just like, I'll kill her. Uh, you know, he, he'd tell Batman, right. like, I'll kill her and you can't stand like taking a life. And then later on, tell Harley, like, hey, I was just kidding. I was just to manipulate Batman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's done a lot better. 
better. This type of particular story is done a lot better in the animated series on DC Universe. Mad Harley Love. Oh, no, 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 oh, the, oh the, the new one. Yes, the new one. The new, which I know I said in the previously in the podcast. You asked me like, is it good? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> you were still processing. I was still processing the yeah. new tone and whatever because I was not used to this. And then after I saw the movie, I I hadn't caught up with the show, but I went back to the show and watched like six episodes, and I was like. Yeah, this is actually the better version. I love the show. Story-wise. This is a story-wise because it's so much more about Harley. Harley in that version does what we were hoping that we would see Harley do in the movie where she breaks off from Joker. She wants to be her own person. We have arcs about her yeah. being her own person. There's no studio restriction in terms of which characters they have to use. So like, oh, right. we yeah. get full-on every single DC comic book villain is like in this thing. Along Bookworm? With, okay, maybe not Bookworm, but... <laughs> You got like the Legion of Doom. You got uh, John Carlo Esposito. You know Gus Fring from Breaking Bad. He's, King Tut. He's voicing Lex Luthor in this. Oh shit! In terms okay. of Legion of Doom, and then Poison Ivy's her best friend, and it's like the best version of Poison Ivy, by the way, because oh, I know shit. that we talked about how better like, than the Arkham series. Well, you know how we talked about how Poison Ivy is most of the time just some like sexual temptress who oh, yeah. has plant powers. Check out a previous episode. I forget which number, but the, we the, totally yeah, the talked about Yeah, the Batman Robin ones. Yeah. Yes. We talked about this. And I'm just like, maybe we could revamp it this way. They did a great job and just, it's not, like she still has those powers, yeah. but they actually say like, here's who she is as a person or as a character or as Harley's friend. So you this. figured out more of Poison Ivy. They they unlocked the code with Poison Ivy. I think they more. unlocked the code in terms of like, well, at least in the context of the series, she is Harley's best friend and she's her main ally in, in the cartoon. Um, so because of the fact that it's from the lens of her being a friend, yeah. we get to see Poison Ivy in a, a sort of a, a dimension to her that we don't usually see. Because most of the time it's just like Batman goes after Poison Ivy. Poison Ivy kills somebody by kissing them to death. Yeah, Batman's tempted sexually by Poison Ivy. But yeah. then he resists it because of his Batman willpower. And then puts <laughs> her through Arkham Asylum and that's it. Like it's, That will. Yeah, like it's the same fucking thing every time. And at least like in this version... Like, we don't even have a scene with her and Batman, and we barely have anything with, like, her trying to tempt people or kissing people to death. It's it's so much less about her powers and sexuality and more so about, like, she's an actual character. She's, yeah. like, the, the, the to, to coin the comedy phrases, she's the quote-unquote straight man to Harley right. in this. And it works so well, and I'm like, oh, my God, I actually appreciate Poison Ivy now as a character in this version because that's how they made it. They finally turned her into somebody. A co-worker brought this up to me about she was saying uh what would what would uh you know a joker type harley movie look like you know like a walking oh, yeah. joker mm-hmm. with that serious ass tone mm-hmm. you know like what if it's like you know really heartbreaking at the end it's this fucking sad ass movie and she's she it's it shows some a, a woman that's not totally empowered and it's so sad mm-hmm. you know like at the end like she like let's say if this movie was made in a parallel universe like what if it ended with harley really not ever being able to let go of joker and she goes back to him you go back to the abuse yeah you know what i mean like that would be powerful and sad in a way but that would be i don't know i like i, I do like dc having fun but maybe, you know, this whole thing stems from, like, abusive relationship. At its core, her core story is pretty dark. Yeah. So I wouldn't I wouldn't mind, like, I'm sure the, the cartoon is awesome. I haven't seen it yet. Mm-hmm. But I, I, it would be cool 
you know, I, I, I like zany and, and fun, of course. Like, I love Shazam, and, and, and I like this movie okay, but uh, it'd be cool to kind of see that take as well. I thought that was a good idea. Yeah, I think there's a DC Black story about Harley that does something like that. I heard that was a really good... I actually yeah. asked uh, my... my uh, was it LCB, local comic shop, mm-hmm. LCS, <laughs> my LCS about that? And he was yeah. like, yeah, it's flying off the shelves. <laughs> Damn. So, All right. Well, we got to check that out. Yeah. Potential yeah. deep dive, maybe. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we both really liked it. Uh, what, uh, you know, even though the Harley Quinn story didn't quite pay off, it was still a good time in the theater. I think. Yeah, it's fun. Action's great. I mean, <laughs> yeah. You know, DC lightening up, especially after Joker, you know, like, let's not commit suicide after we leave the theater, <laughs> you know? It's, it, it, I, I enjoyed that. I just, it just could have been, if they were going this route, they could, they should have had a better, better, uh, dual intertwining arcs. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so. With her and Cassandra Kane mm-hmm. a little more, even if Black Mask would have been forfeit a little bit, if you had, because if it's, it's obviously about being between the women. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know? It's it something was missing there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, we'll, yeah. I mean, we'll we'll see if they ever revisit it. But I mean, Margot Robbie's pretty set in that role. She's already gone to filming the Suicide Squad with yeah. James Gunn. So the I'm just Suicide like, Squad, the Suicide Squad. Uh, <laughs> but so I don't think she's necessarily shedding tears about it. But she probably wanted something that was a little bit more of her own. I think this movie this will version. age. Okay, though I think. I think so. Yeah, I it think will this find will be... its audience in home video if even people even fucking care about that anymore. Yeah, you know what I mean. It'll be one of those kind of deals. Yeah, I agree. You I know? think so. It, but it's it's kind of a shame that it wasn't a Deadpool type of hit because it's got the <sighs> man. Yeah, you know, it's it's not. The, I know it's not the same type of zaniness, but it's it's as close as DC is going to get to that. Pretty much. I mean, yeah. graphic violence while yeah, also true, true. funny and breaking the th- fourth wall and that's true. Introducing yeah. a, a lot. whole bunch of more, you know, obscure characters. Also like it's like the most popular cosplay Harley and Deadpool. Yeah. At Comic-Cons yeah. it's like it's like 4000 Harleys, a billion Deadpools. I'm not surprised, you honestly. Know, you see that all the time. Which is fine, yeah. but it's just like I don't know. People yeah. people love anti-heroes, man, because it's a good combination. Yeah, and, and of the two. She's a good contrast to, you know, the other female superheroes that we've seen so far in terms of like, you know, Wonder Woman, Black Widow, uh, Captain Marvel, these like uber serious yeah. women who can kick your ass and just like, well, Harley Quinn can still kick your ass, but she's got a way more interesting personality than any of those. Yeah, I guess Harley Quinn's more relatable than Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman's like female super, female superman. superman in a sense. Yeah. But you know, I don't know. I, I personally I personally like Wonder Woman more than Harley Quinn. I think Harley Quinn's like skyrocket to the sky popularity is kind of surprising to me, mm. but I'm not a woman, so I I guess I won't get that fully. I think it makes sense when it comes from the story that's post breakup with the Joker. Like if it was Yeah, yeah. If it's just her always as a sidekick, I don't think that's as that's as appealing. Yeah, I think it's the story of her breaking off from him and forming her own thing and having been a victim of his abuse and being able to survive a relationship with the most dangerous homicidal artist of the DC universe. I think that's probably the appeal. If I were to yeah. to put a finger yeah. on that, yeah. So, well, that 
is our quick thoughts on Birds of Prey, but uh, <laughs> stick around because we are definitely going to do a deep dive right now in terms of the various comic book aspects that made it into the movie because holy shit, I think at the very end of the movie, Andrew saw me, I was taking notes because I'm just like, I don't want to <laughs> forget all the different things I picked up on yeah. throughout watching it. So here we go. <laughs> First off, the name Birds of Prey, for those who don't know, it's not some random name that they came up with for this movie. Uh, even though it might feel that way to people who aren't big fans, but uh, the name Birds of Prey was actually uh, started in the 90s. Uh, DC assistant editor Frank Pitteris, I might be mispronouncing it, Frank Pitteris uh, apparently coined the phrase, but it was conceived by Jordan B. Garfinkel and written by Chuck Dixon. And it was called Black Canary slash Oracle Birds of Prey in 95. So it was basically originally just going to be Barbara Gordon as Oracle, yeah, uh, sort of as the the woman, literally the woman in the chair, but the woman who is like behind the scenes and yeah. the tech support, and Dinah Lance, the Black Canary, being the the woman in the field. Yeah, and then it took off when Gail Simone took over. Yeah, and not only did she take over, but she added a third component, which was of course the Huntress. Yeah, so uh, we have this pretty much a history of these three working together. But no Harley Quinn yet yeah. in terms of this. So they're, they're sort of established. Yeah, they're kind of established as their own thing, not necessarily connected to Harley Quinn. So the idea of having Harley connect to the Birds of Prey, it's understandable from a business standpoint in yeah. terms of like, you know, we can we have Harley's popularity and then we have all these other women in the Batman universe. So we could totally introduce them in the same thing. I'm like, I get it, but there's not much of a connection yeah. in it's the comics. It's a forced connection. It's a little bit of a forced connection. Well, so is Justice League. Yeah, you know what I mean. Well, yeah. except for we must co- we must join forces for a, a worldwide threat. Right, right. That's the only, I guess that that's the, how they stretch it every time. Right. Uh, but uh, whatever. So that's the the birds of prey in the comic. I'll go character by character later in terms of what makes it up. But uh, that's where birds of prey come from. Harley Quinn is obviously the main character in this, but uh, there's a lot of different references that are made throughout, or different Easter eggs, or different things that compared to the comics or contrast to the comics. So uh, first off, I think we talked about this in a previous episode, but since this is the Harley Quinn episode, we might as well talk about this here. Harley Quinn was originally created for the Batman animated series in the 90s uh, by Paul Dini. And there was an episode called Joker's Favor where Paul Dini decided, you know what, I don't want to just have Joker have random henchmen. It'd be cool right. if I did something that was similar to the 60s show where in the 60s show, every villain had like some girlfriend helping him. You gotta have more women on screen. Yeah, you gotta have more women on screen. Swinging sixties. He's like, all right, well, (laughs) Bob Kane's like, give me that ten plus blonde, ten plus broad. So in uh, this picture, he wanted to create. Okay, I want to give him a henchwoman. And around this time, his friend from college, Arlene Sorkin, uh, was on Days of Our Lives, and he had remembered a scene where she wore a dresser outfit as okay. a character yeah. on uh, Days of Our Lives. And funny enough, that scene with her in the Jester outfit is in the background in one of the scenes in Birds of Prey. Oh, it's shit. playing in the background when Renee Montoya is like drinking herself uh, into a stupor in her own room until she gets the text from Black yeah. Canary. She's like, yeah. oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's in the background. And it was Arlene, of course, who Paul Dini was like, hey, I have the perfect character for you. Uh, I want you to 
basically take on this role. And so, you know, Arlene, Harlene, there's already a connection there. Oh, yeah. Uh, but they, she was pretty much the number one choice from day one. And Arlene Sorkin debuted as Harley Quinn in that episode and then took off ever since. So that's that's how Harley's, Harley started. The first instance of Harley breaking up with the Joker and kind of turning straight is in the animated series. It's one of the best episodes by Paul Dini called uh, Harley Quinnade. And it's her helping Batman to go up against Joker, but that's kind of the first instance of like, hey, this character isn't just always Joker's sidekick. At yeah. some point, she's going to eventually branch out from him. Now, of course, it still ends with her getting back together with him, but that kind of sort of planted the seeds that this is a possibility yeah. or a possible story. Uh, she was added in the comics in 1999 during No Man's Land, which was kind of an awkward time to add in this character. Yeah. But it was kind of now <clears throat> retcon that she had been Joker's psychiatrist at Arkham. Yeah. And he had turned her nuts. And now with No Man's Land going on, she gets the Jester outfit and helps him out. Yeah. So uh, a few things that happened in the movie is that uh, we see kind of her family life a little bit. It's implied that her dad was kind of a piece of shit who ignored her all the time. Yeah. Uh, and that does have its roots in Deanie's comics. In Gotham City Sirens number seven, it was revealed that he was kind of a uh, swindler who ended up in jail. Uh, okay. And they explore this kind of in the animated series as well. By the way, Gotham Sirens yes. is Catwoman, Poison Ivy, and... <clears throat> and Harley. And Harley. She's both. If... Well, I mean, Harley's not part of the Birth of Prey. Oh, that's true. Yes. <laughs> so, if anything, not. maybe this should have been a Gotham City Sirens movie... With somebody else as a poison ivy and someone else right. as a Catwoman, but I digress. Sirens are, well, Catwoman's kind of more more or less gray, but right. she, they're bad. They're they're villain. Right. Vill- yeah. Villains. Well, that, that that was the idea was to have the top three Batman villainesses together. So uh, let's see. We see a little bit of Harley getting thrown into a nunnery in the opening sequence. Yeah. Which is interesting because Harley is actually part Jewish in the comics. Oh, really? Uh, and this is reflective of the fact that Arlene Sorkin uh, is Jewish herself. Okay. So I think they might have changed that for this one. But uh, at one point, we see that when Harley grows up, she goes through a lot of... In the cartoon at the beginning, we see her go through a bunch of cartoon lovers. But there's a yeah. very brief snippet where one of those lovers is a woman. Oh, shit. Which uh, basically confirms that Harley... Harley is bisexual, like in the comics, because at one point she had a relationship with Poison Ivy. Oh, shit. I don't necessarily know how that works, considering that Poison Ivy's kiss can kill you, so... She can not She can turn it off, though, right, or no? I don't know. Maybe she'll turn it like off It's not like Rogue from the X-Men, where she can't ever turn it off. I don't know. Okay. I haven't really thought about what it would be like to get together with Poison Ivy. <laughs> so, Dude, she's... In all honesty... <laughs> Just be one percent creepy right now, but she's really hot in Arkham, the Arkham games. It's the best. <laughs> she's the animated. best poison ivy. Yes, but still. Uh, let's see. The Mad Love origin is obviously referenced since this is a sequel to Suicide Squad. So the idea of her starting out as Joker's psychiatrist in Arkham is there, and then Harley jumping into the Ace Chemicals as a gesture of her love to Joker is rooted in the New Fifty Two comics, and then was adapted into Suicide Squad. Uh, Harley on roller skates is right out of the New 52 version of Harley. The first yeah. issue by uh, Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiotti has her in the roller skates beating up other women on the roller skates, <laughs> so that's totally right out of the comic. Honestly, even if it's added later, it to me it fits so well. The roller skates? Roller derby stuff. Yeah, I yeah. think fits her character really well. Yeah, 
So no, that totally worked. Yeah. Uh, obviously, I mean, I think you probably picked up on this, but the hyena is a, another callback yeah, to yeah. the animated series. In the animated series, there were two hyenas named Bud and Lou yeah, after yeah. Uh, Abbott and Costello, and they were introduced in the episode The Man Who Killed Batman. But uh, apparently they could only afford to have one. Well, it's maybe better that way because that uh, that animation was pretty good, I thought. Yeah, yeah. Like for a fake-ass hyena, they're probably looking at golf balls or whatever, yeah. ping-pong balls while acting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, yes, it looks animated, but it's it's done fairly well. It was pretty good CG, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. No, you I know? think so too. Uh, accompanying the hyena, though, is the stuffed beaver, which you might have seen me react to when we were in the theater. I remember you saying that. I don't know much about that. What's, so, what's going on with in that? the comics, Harley, in the in the New 52 comics by Amanda Connor and Palmiotti, uh, she has a beaver who's taxidermied named Beaver. Uh, not, not Beaver. His name, his name is Bernie. Bernie, yeah. Bernie the beaver. Uh, <laughs> and she apparently can hear him talk. Oh, okay. So, there are parts in the comics where she has conversations with him. Okay. And sort of has... She's kind of like her Alfred in a way in terms of like somebody who when she goes back home, she has somebody to bounce her ideas off of, even though he's a taxidermy beaver. And he's not actually real. Uh, but in I the love comics, that. that's her Alfred. <laughs> in the comics, half of him is burned and charred up. Yeah. So uh, I didn't get a good look. So I don't know if that's what happens to the beaver in the movie with that explosion. Uh, but no, I, I'll have I to rewatch forgot. it. But, uh, that would have been the perfect origin for that. Uh, but who knows if they ever do a sequel or if Bernie is in the Suicide Squad, maybe we'll get to hear his voice. Oh, that'd be that'd be awesome. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> and then she's talking to him like, I don't know whether to uh, to help the squad or not. And Bernie's yeah. like helping her out. Right. So another thing, <laughs> another thing I'd like to add to these is we're, we won't just be comparing to the comics, but I also want to compare to previous live action versions of these oh, characters because yeah. yeah. those are a little bit more obscure. I think a lot of us are already familiar with the cartoon one, so I haven't really talked. I'm not really going to talk that much about the cartoon adaptations, but yeah. uh, Harley Quinn was first in live action, not in Suicide Squad with Margot Robbie, but in 2003 in the Birds of Prey TV show. Yes, you you told me this a little bit in yeah. passing before. Yes, so I'm going to go a little bit further into it. Yeah, uh, it was developed by uh, I'm going to butcher her name, uh, but uh, Leta Kalogridis. Calogridis, sorry, I'm butchering your name, but um, she developed it in 2003. It was made by the same people who did Smallville. We talked a little bit about it in the Bruce Wayne uh, pilot, the unmade Bruce Wayne pilot episode, but uh, it was set in the future, uh, and Gotham was even called New Gotham, and the main villain of that was... In the Birds of Prey live action? Yeah, it was called New Gotham, yeah. And uh, Harleen Quinzel was the main villain of... The, of the whole show. Of the whole show, because the show was 13 episodes, and okay. then they didn't get a pickup for uh, for more episodes. Yeah. So she was played by the actress Mia Sarah, who uh, you guys might remember from Legend with Tom Cruise. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. But originally it was Sherilyn Fenn from Twin Peaks before she was recast. Oh, shit. Um, so technically Sherilyn Fenn was the, the first Harley, but uh, she works at Arkham Asylum and is also the therapist to the Huntress in oh, the show. Oh, shit. Yeah. And the conceit was that in this continuity... Uh, Harleen Quinzel was still working at Arkham and was still running her um, her therapy. I guess she was a therapist rather than a psychiatrist in here. Or maybe she was both because most people get them mixed up. But anyway, uh, <laughs> she was not one known to be... One can prescribe medicine and one can't. Yes. Uh, I think that's the difference. She was thought to be... Uh, she, she was thought to be just Harleen Quinzel. Yeah. 
the uh, she had previously been Harley Quinn when the Joker was around, but nobody knew that they were the same person. Okay. Which is kind of weird considering the name, but whatever. Um, <laughs> she, the Joker had disappeared, so she was taking over. Yeah. And it's not until the final episode that she wears an outfit that's kind of a gesture outfit. She doesn't have the mask or anything from the neck up. It's Why can't of, they just fucking copy? Especially the last episode. Like, they couldn't do it. Just yeah. fucking copy this shit. It was also during a time where, you know, early 2000s was still around the time. We're just like, oh, we can't make it look too comic booky. You can't yeah, look too yeah, much yeah. like the comics. The X-Men uh, show. <clears throat> you want me to wear yellow spandex? Yeah. <laughs> yes, motherfucker. Yes, we I do. do. <laughs> <laughs> So this is before that mentality. Uh, also, Mia Sarah was not asked to do the Brooklyn accent, so she just kind of had a regular. Oh come on! Accent. So that's was, fucking ridiculous. This Harley Quinn was very different from what we're used to because she was more devious. She wasn't really that funny. She didn't have okay. the Brooklyn accent. She was kind of just the main villain of this, and she kills Oracle's boyfriend in the final episode. So okay. she's just a flat-out villain in this version. Okay. Uh, very different. The next time that we saw her uh, before Margot Robbie was on Arrow. Very short cameo. Uh, a woman named Cassidy Alexa was seen from behind with, like, the sort of the pigtails that are up. Yeah. Um, and you saw her from the back in an episode about the Suicide Squad and their version of the Suicide Squad. Uh, that included Deadshot and Bronze Tiger and uh, John Diggle and his wife. Didn't they, like, there was one where it was like, oh, she's going to appear on the show, and it was just like a off-camera line. Yeah, it was, It was. this was the episode where, you, well, you still saw her, but you saw her from behind. You never really saw her oh, face. Yeah, yeah. And the line that she said where she offered, like, couples counseling to, uh, to Diggle oh, and his yeah. wife, uh, that line was delivered <clears throat> and dubbed over by Tara Strong. Oh, shit. Who's yeah. Arlene Sorkin's uh, successor for the yeah. role of Harley. Yeah. And then there was a deleted scene where Harley Quinn asked, because uh, they're, they're, I think it's the season finale of that season where Diggle breaks out the Suicide Squad in order to help him. Yeah. And Harley begs Diggle to uh, break him out, and Deadshot's like, you don't want to free that one, bro. Uh-huh. So yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. that was going to be her second cameo, but that never ended up making it to the final cut. But you guys can see it on YouTube. Oh, man. And then after post-Margot Robbie, we got a Harley-like character on Gotham named Echo, played by Francesca Root Dodson. And she was the bodyguard to Jeremiah Valeska, who was their version of uh, the future Joker, played by Cameron Monaghan. When Jeremiah goes insane, he off-screen had her play Russian roulette with a gun, and she ended up shooting herself in the head, but survived. And the bullet in her head apparently turned her crazy. So uh, the next time that we saw her, she was no longer his bodyguard, Echo. She was in a jester outfit that was, like, black and red. Oh, shit. She would call him Puddin. It was the closest ever. This yeah. sounds closer than uh, the other one. Yeah, this is way closer than the others, but she was kept, they kept calling her Echo, and her background was she was a bodyguard. She wasn't a psychiatrist. Okay. So it was kind of ambiguous, like, is she Harley? Because the, the name doesn't match up, and neither does the background. And then in the uh, in the finale, um, she ends up getting stabbed, and Jeremiah's like, oh, there'll never be another like you. And then she's like, really? And then he shoots her in the head. And he's like, yeah, well, there's always <laughs> other fish in the sea. Oh so she's implied to be the first uh, Harley before Harley, I guess. Oh, shit, okay. So those were the... Other versions, live-action versions of Harley Quinn, but I mean, hands down, I think it's pretty obvious Margot Robbie wins the award for best Harley Quinn in yeah. live-action so far. Yeah. Uh, just in terms of characterization and in terms of performance, you know, she's an Oscar-nominated 
actress herself and does a fantastic job uh, with her role. So I think uh, that's well-deserved for her. She was not the only character created for the animated series who made the transfer into cartoons, though. Okay. The other one was Renee Montoya. <coughs> she was created by Deanie? She was created... For the show? Yeah, by Deanie and Michael Reeves for the episode Pretty Poison is where she first appeared. Oh, but she... Oh, and then she became the question later because the question's yeah. older. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So in the animated series, uh, they just added her into it. And DC Comics liked the idea so much that they included her in the comics before the series even debuted. Oh, so shit. she technically started in the comics uh, publicly, even though her origin is stemming from the cartoon. So she first shows up in the comics in Batman number 475 by Alan Grant and Norm Breifogel. And uh, she was kind of just Gordon's young assistant at the time. Uh, her she her famous partnership in the cartoon as well as in the comics is with Har- Harvey Bullock, and then right. later on with uh, Crispus Allen, who uh, you might remember or might not remember because it was such a thankless role. But it was, he was the black cop who talks to Gordon in Justice League, where he shows him like the illustration of the Parademon. Oh Gordon's yeah, like I gotta yeah. talk to him in the bat signal. That's Crispus Allen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and. Those were her main partners in the comics. So the partner who becomes a captain in the Birds of Prey movie is not somebody in the comics. That's kind of okay. just somebody that they made up. The whole like, oh, he took the credit because he's a man and things like that. That's not in the. It's it's doesn't happen like that in the comics. However, there is a story arc in Gotham Central where Montoya ends up quitting the police force. Okay, so it's along those lines. While the captain isn't a comic character, some of the other characters she's involved with in the GCPD do have their roots in the comics. So her current partner apparently is named Tim Mon- either Tim Monroe or Tim Evans. Now on IMDb, I found Tim Evans, but I could have sworn her partner was named Monroe in the movie. <laughs> All right. The reason why this is important is because there's a corrupt cop named Tim Monroe in Gotham Central. Okay. Uh, he's also black in Gotham Central, so I don't know why they didn't cast a black actor to that, but maybe they thought, like, oh, we already got... Whitewashing. Yeah, they whitewashed it, but then gave a black captain who wasn't from the comics. I don't know. Whatever. I wasn't <laughs> in charge of this. Um, <laughs> don't kill the messenger here, guys. <laughs> Her ex, uh, the d- district attorney, is named Ellen Yee, uh, and this is potentially a reference to Ellen Yindel, who is the successor to Gordon in The Dark Knight Returns. Oh, her girlfriend in this? Yeah, yeah. Her ex, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is the second time that Ellen Yindel has been uh, reimagined as an Asian woman. Okay. The first time was in the cartoon from 2004, The Batman, where she was uh, Ellen Yin, voiced uh-huh. by Ming-Na. So I don't know why this character is attracting... Being bent into being an Asian woman, but can't tell you. I'm cool with that. They need more Asian women in the in Gotham. In Gotham, yeah, like. that's true. Seems like there's not many. Yeah, it's true. This Lady Shiva, and that's it. Yeah, uh, Montoya, as Andrew previously mentioned, ends up teaming up with uh, Vic Sage, also known as the Question, and then after his death, she becomes the new Question. Yeah, that'd be such a cool 52 yeah that'd be such a cool movie too. Like, let's say yeah. it's like you get one with Vic Sage, but then he dies at the end, but like takes over the man she takes over the mantle yeah. at the end of the movie be so cool man sequel guys like sequel te- to birds tear up <laughs> totally tear up for the next one mm-hmm. and you gotta have that famous line I think it's famous anyway from the Justice League cartoon where he says he says something about his like shoelaces like he has some conspiracy theory about shoelaces or something <laughs> the qu- that, th- I don't that, remember that yeah. I haven't read a whole lot of question in the comics but that portrayal that, that character is so good mm-hmm. in the in the in that show yeah no, seriously. They need they need to do a question, uh, a live action question adaptation. 
Kevin Smith keeps threatening to make a movie like that. He said if he if he did make one, it would be with the question. I wonder who it, he would cast. Yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't involve a whole lot of special effects. Yeah, you, you would know. just need the face to yeah. be probably CG'd, and that's it. Not crazy action either, probably. Like, maybe a little bit, but... Yeah, it's like a, it's a detective story. It's a tec- straight-up yeah. detective, so... Mm-hmm. I don't know. The uh, This is not the first time we've seen Montoya in live action, either. She was previously debuted in Gotham, as mentioned by our friend of the podcast, Cole Vallis, in our interview with him, um, where she was played by Victoria Cartagena, and that Montoya... Like Rosie Perez is also uh, meant to be older than Batman. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is interesting because in the comics, she's like the she's a lot younger than Batman. But it seems like in live action, she's always been a lot older. Because you know, in Gotham, Montoya is already a detective in, in internal affairs right. when Bruce Wayne's parents die. <laughs> so right. either she's you know, an older Montoya when she grows up. Or her daughter, also named Renee, turns into the one from the comics. But anyway, that's never really explored because she disappeared after season one. Right. Uh, and she was established as the ex-lover to Gordon's girlfriend, Barbara Keene. Okay. Because they wanted to carry over uh, her sexuality from the comics, which is also um, explored in Gotham Central. I might have forgotten to add. But yeah, she's one of the most more famous um, LGBTQ characters in the uh, Gotham universe. So right. uh, it's good that they acknowledge that in the in the movie. Uh, when we get back from the break, we will tackle the rest of the cast that we have. We have the rest of the Birds of Prey as well as the villains. So stay tuned. Hey, everybody. It's Andrew. I just wanted to tell you about our friend Israel's retro gaming shop, RetroCo. If you go to retro-ko.com, you'll be able to see all of his retro gaming goodies. If you wanted to get that Sega Saturn hidden gem from back in the day, or if you wanted to get the Famicom disc system that you never got as a kid, or any other type of retro game that you were into, or uh, import game, please go to RetroCo.com. That's Retro-KO.com. And if you use the Superhouse code Johnson's Ballsack, you'll be able to get a little bit of a discount at checkout. So please, once again, if you could just go to RetroCo.com, you can also go to Facebook.com slash RetroCo with no hyphen. That's R-E-T-R-O-K-O. You'll be able to find him on Facebook as well. If you were looking for that PlayStation import game that you never got, if you were looking for that Mega Drive game that you never got, or any other kind of retro game, any import game, it could even be European, Israel also curates bundles at RetroCo, and he'll curate that bundle just for you. So please, go check him out. If you put in the code Johnson's Ballsack at checkout, you'll receive a Superhouse discount. And we're back for part two of our deep dive into the Birds of Prey characters. Yay! <laughs> so I love it! Yes, you should love it, because the next character we dive into is Cassandra Kane, who is eh. the... Thief. All right, never mind. We'll move on to the next one. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Let's talk. <laughs> let's talk about Doc, the Asian guy. He's from the com- No, he's not from the comics. Uh, Cassandra Kane in this is probably the most reimagined character in the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because uh, in this, she's a thief. She has foster parents. She basically seems to- her future is to become a thief. She kind of needs the other birds of prey to protect her because she's a kid. And yeah. Also, she just knows how to pickpocket and that's about it very different from the one in the comics in the comics cassandra kane is one of the deadliest and greatest martial artists 
in the entire DC yeah, universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She is the daughter of Lady Shiva and David Kane, who you guys might remember from the Batman training episode. Yeah. Uh, who trained Batman? So in she, thievery. Uh, no, oh. in uh, Savat. Oh, Savat. Oh, okay, or at least yeah. I thought it was Savat. It wasn't never really quite established, but uh, there was mention of of uh, Bruce learning from a convicted killer. Uh, okay. learning Savat from a convicted killer and then when Greg Rucker wrote the novelization for No Man's Land he specifically mentions that Kane uses Savat on Batman so I kind of oh, connected shit. like Kane's a killer too it all makes sense so his daughter Cassandra was raised by Kane uh, to read body language but not be able to read or write so she was mute because she was never taught how to speak uh. Uh, she was only t- the only language that she learned to use was violence Okay. So she ended up killing a man when she was like six or so. Okay. Again, very different from the Cassandra we got in the movie. Uh, and then she winds up in Gotham and becomes sort of the street urchin uh, who we meet around Batman 567, and she ends up working for Oracle, working okay. for Barbara Gordon. And when she helps save, uh, she saves Gordon and everybody from Kane, uh, Barbara sort of has a, a soft spot for her. And decides that she's would be the right successor to take on the Batgirl mantle. And she has a full on her face is fully covered. Yeah, her face is fully covered in this yeah. one because she has no reason to speak. Oh yeah, in this, so uh, that's why. But yeah, she's she's awesome. Uh, her being mute was kind of referenced or given kind of a slight wink in the first uh, scene with Montoya when Montoya yeah. is like, you know, you usually have something to say, and then she doesn't say anything for a bit. Yeah, I thought that was going to head that way. Yeah, because I didn't see her talk that much in the trailer or at all in yeah. the trailer. I think so. Yeah. But yeah, no, Cassandra Cain would be capable of kicking Batman's ass apparently, or Batman. Oh shit! She's one of the few who Batman's like, I don't know if I could take her on if we ever okay. had gotten to a fight. So again, very different. Um, she ended up taking on different personas as well. Grant Morrison gave her the co- code name Black Bat in Batman Incorporated because at the time uh, Stephanie Brown was Batgirl. Oh yeah. And then uh, as of the New Fifty Two and Rebirth, her code name is Orphan. Okay. Because uh, that was David Kane in in the New Fifty Two reimagining of David Kane. Uh, that was his code name. So she kind of took on his code name and reimagined it for herself. Uh, but yeah, it's. It's very different. I'm not really sure if it needed to be Cassandra Kane. They could have... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, they could have kept the same actress and used a different name. It just kind of felt like, well, we already got... We got all these women. We got, you know, a mixed... We've got a mixed actress as Black Canary, and we got Hispanic, like Montoya. We need an right. Asian. What do we need? Right, like, we right. got Cassandra Kane. Like, perfect. I'm like, does it really help? Does it really... What Asians next? do they have in <laughs> Gotham? And then... Cassandra the, Kane. The, the, the DC producers, people at, people at DC Comics are like... Not many. Not many. <laughs> Lady Shiva would probably just kill Black Mask in the first scene. So and that's, that's it. Yeah, that's it. We don't need Harley in this. <laughs> Wait, uh, real quick, off yeah. the top of your head, sure. are there Asian women in in Gotham? In Gotham in, specifically? In yeah, because if it not not Superman's world, not Metropolis. <laughs> not they're not many, huh? Uh, oh my god, you're rack, if you're racking your brain. Uh, no, I'm. <laughs> Yeah, Cassandra Kane. Cassandra <laughs> Kane, Lady Shiva. Lady that's it. Shiva. Uh, you could argue Talia, but she's more on the part Middle Eastern she's side. Middle Eastern. Um, that's the Near East, I guess you could say, not the far. We're East. talking Asian women specifically, not yeah, a, not Asian. Um, and then in Gotham, it was established that Vicky Vale's aunt, Valerie Vale, was played by Jamie Chung. 
Oh shit! Okay. So, uh, which implies that Vicky Vale in that continuity would be Asian, at least partially. At least partially. Yeah. So Gotham gotcha. at least did a good job with trying to um, incorporate more Asian characters in non-stereotypical roles because uh, one of the biggest roles was B.D. Wong as Hugo Strange, which yeah. nobody saw coming, and he's he was fantastic, especially yeah. as a huge Hugo Strange fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he was amazing in that, and I would never have even thought, you know, as an Asian man myself, to cast an Asian man <laughs> as Hugo Strange. Because <laughs> so, it's the German stereotype, right? me, yes. Yeah, I guess, I guess so, so, yeah. The, ger- the crazy German, that's yeah. an old stereotype at this point, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see. Kind of wish, though, that like a character who she does kind of match up more with is Harper Rowe, who was created by Scott Snyder. She is a kid who lives on the streets with a bad home life. She steals at one point, so she kind of already has this background of like being des- you know, destitute and desperate yeah. to, to steal. Uh, but she also has a future as uh, being part of the Batman family, just like Cassandra Kane. Okay. So they could have had Harper Rowe just play and played by the same actress, and right. I would have been okay with that. Right. The, the the naming is is a little off. Yeah. Like even Gail Simone said on on Twitter, she said like, "Hey, I love this movie. Yeah. Don't take this the wrong way, but that was not Cassandra Kane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actress was great. Writing was fine. Not Cassandra Kane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> just trying to throw in some property <laughs> on it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the next character is Black Canary. Now, this is a character with a really complicated history, which is why I yeah. kind of saved... I saved her and Huntress for the last two of the uh, of the heroines for us to go over because yeah. it's such a different history of all these. Uh, but I'm going to do my best to summarize. So she first started out in 1947 in the Flash comics, um, and she was a criminal... <laughs> I could see that. For she was sure. a criminal named the Black Canary, uh, who was a villain for Johnny Thunder, who was this just a Society of America character who he was aided by this genie called the Thunderbolt. And anyways, <laughs> like she was kind of the Catwoman equivalent to uh, to to Johnny Thunder. Okay. And she later evolved into becoming a hero. And some retcons say that oh, she was just pretending to be a criminal, but she was really working undercover. Yeah. Um. And she wore a mask and everything, and her name was Dinah Drake. And uh, she ended up becoming part of the Justice Society of America and ended up getting married to a man named Larry Lance. And so her full name became Dinah Drake Lance. Uh, Then it was the Silver Age, and the Silver Age kind of established, like, hey, we're now a different continuity. This is the first time that they she started doing that. She had the Canary that. Cry from the beginning. No, she did not. Oh, okay. Canary Cry was not a thing. She was just a great fighter. She was basically uh, a female Batman. She was a brawler. Yeah, she yeah. just she fights people. She, she doesn't have, have any... Um, she has no powers. She have, like, a, a biker look at this time? Kind of. She still yeah. had the, the black jacket, and I think the fishnet stockings were still part of it. Okay. Uh, which is an image in the comics that doesn't really... that didn't necessarily carry over into all the live-action versions, but... In in the beginning, that's what she was like, and then the Silver Age happened, and they Silver Age decided like, hey, the previous era where the Flash was that guy with the helmet, Jay yeah. Garrick, yeah, yeah, we're gonna sta- we're gonna say that that era was set on a different Earth and established yeah. different Earths, and that's created yeah. the multiverse. Yeah. So because of this, Dinah Drake Lance was said to be part of Earth Two and part of the Justice Society of America. Yeah. And then when they decided, you know what would be cool if we had Black Canary in the current continuity. Yeah. They just said, all right, we'll just bring Black Canary over to Earth-1 yeah. to be part of the Justice League yeah. and give her some superpower yeah. when, she, when she carries over. And so when she showed up in, on Earth-1, apparently the leftover, because of the, you know, traveling through the multiverse, she was given the power of the Canary Cry. 
Oh, the 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 act of going through the wormhole. That's what or whatever? that seemed to be implied at that time. By okay, the way. gotcha. That that's time. that's pretty funny. Yeah. All so right. she now has the canary cry, and that's when. Uh, I guess apparently she had divorced from Larry Lance at this point okay. because that's when she started the romance or on and off flirtation with Oliver Queen, the Green Arrow. Yeah. And that's what starts this whole Black Canary and Green Arrow romance. Um, and then later it was revealed in Justice League 220, illustrated by a friend of the podcast, Chuck Patton. Uh-huh. That Chuck! Yep. That Come she, back to me, Chuck. She and Larry Lance had a daughter also yeah. named Dinah. And that Dinah was well, the one who was cursed by the wizard, the villain, the wizard, with the canary cry. Okay. And the Thunderbolt put that daughter in, like, suspended animation just yeah. to protect her from the wizard and everything because her canary cry was so destructive. Um, and then they wiped off, wiped out both Dinah and Larry's memory of the fact that there was this daughter. And then Justice League 220 established that uh, Dinah later was dying, and they transferred her consciousness into <laughs> the daughter, into Dinah Jr., who had the canary cry. That's, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> that's Perfect why, sense, Ben. That's why she had the canary cry when she crossed over into Earth-1. There's nothing wrong with this story <laughs> at all. I agree with it entirely. Proceed forward. <laughs> it was illustrated fantastically by Chuck Patton. Chuck Patton. Yes. By the way, Chuck Patton, when he was on, he, I remember this. He did, <laughs> He doesn't like Jim Lee's 90s X-Men. Like, for really? us, yeah. for us, like, that is our fucking shit. But he was like, yeah. Cyclops, all those pockets. What's that for? <laughs> he, that's not a utility the belt. pouches. Yeah, pouches. All those pouches. So. <laughs> he was, he's a fucking working artist in the game and throwing major shade at, at at Jim Lee, man. I guess you can if you're if you're that old school. If you've been if you wrote, I mean, or if you uh, did illustrations on the uh, the pre-crisis comics and stuff. Yes, he's a long been around. Yeah, been around for a while, and and he also like he's the guy that put a, a he called it a duster jacket, which is basically a, a Wild West trench mm-hmm. coat on Cyclops. Yeah, did. Uh... You guys discussed the fact that he created or co-created uh, Cisco on the Flash. Uh, I don't think we did. I don't know we if that came up. Have, yeah. We need to have him on again. Gotcha. We should have you, Chuck. Please come back. Chuck we already talked. To us, we already talked to you on Instagram anyway. Yeah. Um, but Crisis on Infinite Earths happened in the '80s, which meant that like DC got to reboot everything. And in this reboot, in post-Crisis, they decided let's just take a page from Watchmen, where Silk Spectre was. Uh, a persona that was passed on from mother to daughter. Oh, yeah, 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 Canary. yeah. So this split Dinah into two different characters. Dinah Drake of the Justice Society of America, who was just a brawler and wore a mask and didn't have the canary cry. And then her daughter, Dinah Laurel Lance, who took on the mantle and had the canary cry and was the one who was romancing Oliver Queen. And then it was kind of speculated, like, okay, maybe she was born with a metahuman gene, or maybe it was growing up around the JSA with so many people with powers, with, you know, Green Lantern's power ring, <laughs> that that's why she got the powers. But it's not really explained they that ne- much. They don't have an origin still for her? Uh, it's it's just presumed that she got the metahuman gene. Okay. And yeah. that's, is that, is that a thing with other characters? Uh, not necessarily. Some of them are created, but... Um, some are just born that way, apparently. Okay, it's like it's like an X Men thing. Maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's Mabel. <laughs> they got they got the X gene. <laughs> she's got and the X gene. She, yeah, it, it's a crossover. So metahumans are basically the mutants of uh, the DC universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Enhanced, as yeah. the Marvel universe yes. likes to say. So uh, I'm bringing all this stuff up, not just to give you a history of Black Canary, but also to bring up that 
this split of Dinah and, and her mother or Dinah and her daughter, this was referenced in the movie where Rene Montoya yeah. is talking to uh, the black canary of the movie who is established as Dinah Lance, as Dinah, Lan- the, Dinah Jr., basically, um, and <laughs> said that your mom helped protect the streets of Gotham until she was found dead. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that establishes that her mom was a vigilante and also implies that her mom had the canary cry. So in this thing, uh, both yeah. of them had the metahuman gene yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in the comics... Dinah Drake's death was actually from cancer, and it was established in um, Secret Origins number 50 uh, that she grew up in Gotham in the 1940s and wanted to become part of the police. Uh, but because of the the time, she was rejected by yeah. the police for being a woman. Yeah. So she decided to do her own thing and became the Black Canary. There weren't police women until, what, the 70s? <laughs> I, I don't know. Probably. But it's, it's an embarrassing long time between yeah. when, uh, when they were accepting applications and when women actually got to do it. Yeah, uh, but uh, in the comics, Black Canary tends to be a brunette who wears a blonde wig, uh, but that was not done in the movie. In the movie, I think they just kind of was like, you know what, we'll do a mix of both, and just kind of her hair is kind of a mix of black and blonde, uh, or brown and blonde. So her her wig is like her Clark Kent glasses, like yeah. it's her disguise. Yeah, when in in reality, Dinah Laurel Lance's hair is short brunette. Okay, gotcha. So, uh, Black Canary was revised yet again in the new 52 where her name was Dinah Drake. Um, but she was based in Gotham and she starts off as part of a band okay. as the lead singer, which is probably why in this version she's, she's a singer in black mass club. It's a reference oh, to the new yeah. 52 version yeah. of uh, black canary. And her first story arc in the new 52 is also about her in trouble. Cause she's trying to protect a young girl. Okay. So similarities there. So that's the long history of the Black Canary, at least in the comics. In TV, where this gets a little bit more complicated, she was first she first appeared in the seventies uh, alongside Adam West and Burt Ward in the Legends of the Superhero special, which we've talked oh, about shit. here. Uh, we definitely need to watch that, but just keep in mind again, it has the same reputation as the Star Wars holiday special, so we <laughs> might want to want to watch it even more. <laughs> we'll be now. on Suicide Watch Sounds afterwards. <laughs> But she was played by um, an actress named Danuta Wesley, and she was masked like the Dinah Drake version, but because of the comics at the time, she had the Canary Cry Okay. Uh, still. Uh, so that was the first version of Black Canary. Uh, and then it gets complicated when we get to the Birds of Prey show in 2003, which I previously mentioned. Um, they introduced a young uh, blonde girl named Dinah Redmond. Okay. Redmond, because that was the name of her foster parents. And she was played by Rachel Scarston. And this Dinah was a telepath who, if she touched you, she could, like, read your mind or see your memories yeah. and stuff. Um, and she also develops telekinesis later on. Okay. Um, but even though, you know, Birds of Prey, the lineup was supposed to be Oracle, Huntress, and, and uh, Black Canary, this one didn't really have much similarities to Black Canary. But that changed with an episode called Sins of the Mother. Okay. Sins of the Mother was written by Melissa Rosenberg, who was the future showrunner of Jessica Jones. So this show actually had good episodes? It, it did. It was ahead of its time, honestly. Oh, really? It wasn't... Um, it still had that cheesiness of, like, yeah. early 2000s stuff, but it did... Like, it definitely made an effort to explore three um, very distinct female characters okay. in the beginning, alongside Harley Quinn as the main villain. Okay. Um, so, it, it it was ahead of its time. In Sins of the Mother, we introduce Diana's mother, who is Carolyn Lance, who's established to be the Black Canary. 
So I think they didn't want to call her Dinah too because they thought it would be too confusing. Right. Carolyn Lance the was is the one who's formerly called Black Canary, and she was played by, don't laugh, but Lori Laughlin. Okay. <laughs> Pre USC admission scandal. Um, oh man! In an episode called "Sins of the Mother." <laughs> <laughs> so oh my god! Her, <laughs> she would do anything for her child, apparently. In this, so it was established that um, this is uh, art imitating life. Yeah, I know, right? So <laughs> art. Lori Laughlin in this um, established that she gave up Dinah to the foster parents to protect her because she found a bomb under uh, the bed. Uh, at one point, and people knew that, that Carolyn Lance was the Black Canary in this continuity. So right. she tried to protect Dinah and didn't know that Dinah was a metahuman. Okay. Uh, in fact, uh, Birds of Prey, I believe, is the first DC adaptation to coin the term uh, or use the term metahuman from the comics. Okay. Um, so that was way before Flash and everything. Her what canary, channel was this on, by the way? Uh, it's on DC. Oh, it was on uh, the WB. Okay. So it was on. It was before basically CW days. Before CW days, right around the time of I think the second season or so of Smallville. Oh, okay. Because it was the same producer, so it was just like you can watch Smallville, and then right afterwards is Birds of Prey, gotcha. it's the Superman prequel, and the Batman sequel. So <laughs> Batman sequel. <laughs> yeah, I know. So that that, but that's how it was. It was the future of of the Batman universe was right. on these women, um, and then her canary cry was kind of lame. It was, she didn't cry out like okay. the other versions. She. Like whistled, like Lori Laughlin put on the sound like, like a terrible. whistle, and then like these, because like, a canary, it's a bird whistle. I guess so. And then like you just saw yellow circles come out, and it just it was weird. She was presumed dead at the end of that episode, but who knows what their plans were? Uh, and they were too, they were canceled in advance. But uh, Rachel Scarston would go on to play uh, the nemesis on Batwoman currently. Um, really talented, steals the show on on that show. But uh, that was the first instance of Black Canary on uh, the WB slash the CW. But that was not the only version. We go now into Smallville, where Dinah Lance shows up in Smallville, oh, yeah. played yeah. by uh, Elena Huffman. She was originally an assassin hired by Lex Luthor to take out um, Green Arrow. Uh, but Green Arrow, of course, turns her into a good guy. So this whole idea of Black Canary starting out as a villain and then becoming a hero is, is sort of constantly referenced. Right. to reflect the, the comics. Even in Birds of Prey, the TV show, it was said that Carolyn Lance went undercover uh, amongst the mob uh, right. and became one of them until she turned on all of them. Um, in Smallville, they did the reverse where uh, she was naturally a blonde and um, when she was Dinah Lance, she wore a long brunette wig okay. to be her glasses and then she just did wore her usual hair as a black canary. And then instead of a mask, she wore like the black eye makeup uh, okay. On her, so uh, honestly, it didn't look very good in the first in the first right. her first appearance. But once she grew out the um, her character had grown out the hair, it looked a little closer to the Black Canary in the um, in the comics. And of course, she had the Canary Cry. Dinah Drake was not in the show, but it was hinted that she existed because they did explore the Justice Society of America in a two part episode written by Jeff Johns. Okay. Uh, where there's a huge painting. I don't know who they got for it, but it's a beautiful painting of the JSA, and they got every member in there and. The uh, Dinah Drake Black Canary is part of that. And then we move on to uh, the other version of Black Canaries, or the, the various Black Canaries, which is on Arrow. And this is a fucking, this is a hell of a complicated history, but I'll try to <laughs> summarize it. So uh, the first Canary is established to be Sarah Lance, played by Katie Lotz. And she was uh, 
the girl who was on the same ship as Oliver Queen when it went down. Uh-huh. Um, she ends up on the island with him and then ends up getting recruited into the League of Assassins and trained by Ra's al Ghul and uh, Ra's al Ghul's daughter. And when she shows up again in uh, in, in present day in Arrow, she's called the Canary. Not Black Canary, but yeah, the yeah, Canary. Yeah. And she has she looks like the Dinah Drake Black Canary. Um, she's got the mask and everything. And she can kill people. And her her canary cry isn't a metahuman thing. It's like a sonic bomb that she sets off right, on people. Okay. So she later passed on the outfit to her sister, Laurel Lance, played by Katie Cassidy on the show, who had been part of the show since day one. Um, and then she was killed in season three. That show, like every single character became a, a superhero. <laughs> became a superhero. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah, exactly. So Sarah was killed in season three, but she was resurrected by Constantine in season four, and went off to become the White Canary for Legends of Tomorrow. So oh yeah, I watched up to that point. Yeah, yes, yeah. I so, saw that shit. So she was the first Canary. The second one was Laurel Lance, played by Katie Cassidy. She was supposed to be their version of Dinah Laurel Lance. Yeah. Um, but I guess they figured that Dinah was too old school of a name, so they called her Laurel. Uh, she, I don't know why people make those decisions. I like, don't know. It's a fine name. Yeah. It yeah. just uh, <laughs> they clearly changed their mind later though, but we'll get into that later yeah. in a bit. Because like it's like it's not Star City, it's Starling City. And yeah. then in like season four, they're just like, okay, it's Star City. There's a lot of like <laughs> even the first season of Arrow, he's got like the grease paint on his face. Yeah. He doesn't have the mask. He doesn't have the mask till season two. And he's, he's not just called, called the Green, Arrow. He's not called Green Arrow till season four. Yeah, like... And I'm just like, you guys could have just started it. Like, dude, we're watching a CW <laughs> show uh, named Arrow. The guy's shooting fucking arrows with a green suit. <laughs> just fucking go the extra mile and have the fucking domino mask. Yeah. It's not that big of a but deal. But they, they did do it, to their credit. Yeah, they, they did, did get there. They went they from did. being like, this is very realistic, Nolanized world, to just like, fuck it, this is the DC universe yeah. of TV. So, oh yeah, they were they were trying to be Nolan a little bit. They were trying to be Nolan for the first two seasons, and they're like, "All right, fuck it, we're, we are DC Universe." On did he TV. ever? Did he ever get the Errol Morris beard? Errol Flynn. Beard? Errol Flynn. Uh, yes, in for briefly, briefly. Uh, uh, he needs to have that dude. Not I all the that. time, but he did kind of have it in a Legends of Tomorrow episode where they travel to the future. Oh and yeah, he's older, and they, he's got the pointed beard, and then he he grew one out during an arc where he was in prison. Okay, but they didn't really have him, and they never really had him in like the like old school outfit. He was always yeah. in like the hood and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, I don't know. I was hoping at one point they would just put him in just for the sake of it. Have at I, least I'm one a fan, image. I'm a fan of the Errol Flynn beard. Yeah, me like, too. You, you you need that shit. You have man. to. Yeah. Yeah. But oh well. Anyway, Laurel Lance uh, was sort of established as the Rachel Dawes of that universe. She was like an assistant district attorney or something uh, along those lines. Well, she, she was a lawyer and then got into the DA's office uh, later on. And she became motivated to become a vigilante after finding out that Oliver was the arrow. And after Sarah was killed, she took on the outfit and she called herself the Black Canary. And uh, Cisco from The Flash gave her uh, a sort of collar that enabled her to have the sonic cry. Oh, the yeah. The canary cry. Yeah. But she didn't have it naturally like her comic counterpart did. Uh, season four came around and she was stabbed to death by Damien Dark and killed. So uh, <laughs> that was the end of Laurel Lance, but not the end of Katie Cassidy's turn on the show because Katie Cassidy would return on both The Flash and Arrow as the Earth 2 version of Laurel Lance, right. who was a villain called Black Siren. Oh, shit. And Black Siren, unlike the Earth-1 Laurel, uh, was given the Canary Cry by the Particle Accelerator. 
is so the, she actually oh, was a metahuman. So it's like back to the original way. Yeah, she's back to the original, and she was a villain in season five and six of Arrow until uh, she redeems herself. Did they create Black Siren for this show? They created Black Siren from the show. The name Black Siren comes from uh, an episode from the Justice League cartoon where uh, they they're. Um, God, I forgot the, the character. I'm pretty sure it's Green Lantern meets the Justice Guild. Okay. And that was their version of the Justice Society of America. Yeah. And it turns out to be a sham. So Black Siren was the, like, renamed version of Black Canary there. Okay. So, anyway, Black Siren uh, was a villain for the her first couple seasons until season seven or so. She started on the path of redemption and came out and pretended to be the Earth One Laurel. But right. the idea was that she was a reformed villain so she had a very different personality uh, and honestly was way more interesting than the previous Laurel right. and I'm sure the actors had way more fun in this but she eventually turns good in season 7 or so and in the final season she takes on the role of Black Canary so she's kind of the classic Black Canary um, of old but not the only one because there was one more Black Canary <laughs> in this who was uh, established in season 5 where they find um Actress Juliana Harkavy played a woman named Tina, who they find who happened to have gotten the canary cry by the particle accelerator. Okay. Tina turns out to be an alias for her real name, which she reveals to be Dinah Drake. Tina Lance. No, no, no. Dinah Drake. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Dinah Drake in Arrow is not the mother to Laurel okay. or anything like that. I mean, they did establish that Laurel had a mom who may have also been named Dinah, but she's a completely different Dinah. <laughs> so yeah. this Dinah Drake... Uh, after seasons of calling the other one Laurel because Dinah was too old school of a name, they called this one Dinah. She was a completely different separate character, not related to the Lance sisters, had the canary cry, and she was a cop. Um, and she was the other Black Canary. And currently, they're seeing if they can do a spin-off show called Green Arrow and the Canaries where um, it was established in the final season of Arrow that uh, Green Arrow's daughter takes on the, the mantle. Okay of the Green Arrow and um, they did a backdoor pilot in the second to last episode where the Earth 2 Laurel Lance Black Canary and the Dinah Drake uh, Black Canary uh, team up with her and it's going to be called Green Arrow and the Canaries. His, so his daughter his daughter's with Felicity? His daughter is with Felicity in current con- in uh, 2020. Yeah. And the show would be set in, in like in 2040. But, yeah, yeah, I yeah. gotcha. Yeah. 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 So uh, that's that's their version. And Black Canary, in, funny enough, in no live-action version has Black Canary ended up marrying Oliver Queen. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's yeah. happened in the comics, but in Smallville, uh, Green Arrow did have a flirtation with Black Canary, but ended up with Chloe Sullivan, who was kind of the tech, the blonde tech, tech expert on the side. Yeah. And then in Arrow, despite this huge backstory with Laurel yeah. and Oliver, they team, they ended up pairing Oliver with Felicity, who was also the blonde tech support on the yeah. side in Arrow. So for whatever reason, they want to do that pairing instead. I know we're talking about like Arrow a lot more than we probably planned on, but isn't there like, doesn't Oliver Queen also have like a left politics, a Buddhism aspect to him, the, and he's an environmentalist as yeah, well? Yeah, which is not in the show at all. Not at all, right? The, the closest they got was the gun control episode. That's it, huh? Yeah, and even then, he didn't. His stance was not uh, clear. Even in, in the injustice storyline yeah. in the in the game, yeah. which fighting games are known to have bad stories, but this, mm-hmm. they're they're okay in injustice. Yeah, he he says uh, they go to the Batcave and uh, they ask. I think Flash maybe asks, "How doesn't Superman see into this?" Yeah. And he says, "It's lined with lead." And then uh, Oliver says. 
that's that's very green of you, like sarcastic. <laughs> like he makes an environmentalist joke to right, him. Yeah, yeah. No, he he was thanks to Denny O'Neill in the seventies. There was okay. the uh, hard traveling heroes arc, which is what put Green Arrow on the map. Because honestly, beforehand, right. everyone was just like, uh, he's just the Robin Hood ripoff yeah, of Batman yeah, yeah. type of thing. Him with his arrow mobile and his <laughs> uh, his sidekick in his arrow cave. Yeah, yeah, the arrow cave. <laughs> and he even had a uh, he even had a. Um, a clown type villain. I forgot the guy's name, but uh, he, it the was, smoker. There was so much. Yeah, there was so much. There was so much that that uh, Green Arrow took. <clears> from, but yeah, the show is currently over. But uh, it kind of had a mess yeah. when it came to Black Canary. And honestly, I would have been fine if they just kept it with Green Arrow and Black Canary getting together. But yeah, that was Black Canary. Uh, and then the final bird of prey for us to go over before we jump to the villains is the Huntress. My favorite. Andrew's favorite is the Huntress, uh, but before we go into the version we saw, we have to address uh, the Huntress's history as well. Yeah. So, real briefly, the Huntress was first introduced in the Golden Age. Her name was Paula Brooks, and she was a villain, uh, created by an artist named Mort Mezkin. Morty. <laughs> yeah, Morty Mezkin. What a name. Uh, Come on, Morty. Huntress was later changed. He must changed... be from, like, Queens or some shit. Yeah, like, I don't know. It's just, like, this early <laughs> DC shit, the yeah. early comics. Huntress was later changed to be named Tigress, and Tigress was often uh, paired up with Sportsmaster, and then through the comics, they established that she and Sportsmaster had a daughter named Artemis. Question. Sportsmaster ever been cool? No. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) Maybe in Young Justice, but I'm just like, "Eh, that's the idea. So yeah, Tigress and Sportsmaster have a daughter named Artemis who uh, takes on the Tigress name, but Artemis is most famous in DC fans from Young Justice okay, yeah. as being the protege to yeah. uh, Oliver Queen and and uh, using the Tigress name to sort of infiltrate the uh, the Legion of Doom. Right. Um, so that was the first Huntress. The second Huntress is a little closer, but not quite okay. the Huntress that we know. The second Huntress was established uh, as being the daughter of Batman and Catwoman. Okay, yeah. I, think, uh, I feel like I've heard of this yeah. before. Yeah. This was in Earth 2 continuity. So this yeah. is the Golden Age Batman and Catwoman. Catwoman died, and her daughter, Helena, found out about it. And so Helena Wayne took on the mantle of the Huntress to hunt down um, the man who killed Catwoman. Okay. And ended up being trained by Batman and everything. This was the first time that we saw a Huntress in purple with the crossbow. Okay. Uh, and this super version, revealing costume, like Star, kind, Star Sapphire Part 2. Kind of, yeah. yeah. That was reflected... It might. I'd have to watch the actual program with you, but Legends of the Superheroes brought in this Huntress. Okay. She was played by Barbara Joyce. She, the relationship between her and Batman, I don't think was established in the show. By the way, going back to on. the movie, yeah. not great costumes. Not a great costume. Could have been better. Yeah. Doesn't have to be like revealing, ridiculous, like like we saw, uh, you know, in, yeah. in, in the comics and stuff, mm-hmm. but... Could have been better. Yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs> um, interesting foreshadowing. Legends of the Superheroes, the only two female superheroes in that show were Huntress and Black Canary. Okay, yeah. This is pre-Birds of Prey. Yeah. So it's interesting that those two just happened to be the ones that were available. Um, Helena, The Helena Wayne version of Huntress was later adapted into the 2003 version of Birds of Prey. Okay. So Ashley Scott played her as Helena Kyle because of the fact that she had renounced her father okay. at that point. Um, she had no mask. She did not have much of a costume okay. uh, in it, so she didn't have the, a crossbow or a mask uh, or the cross thing. Like it just didn't look at all like the the thing. She was just right. literally in a long black coat, Matrix style. Right. Uh, Catwoman had been killed by Clayface, 
and who was hired by the Joker. And so she ended up getting taken in by uh, Barbara Gordon yeah. uh, right after G- Barbara had been paralyzed by the Joker. So um, Helena was trained and established that she is part metahuman thanks to oh, yeah. Catwoman. Catwoman okay. apparently in this version was uh, her cat-like powers were from being a metahuman. Okay. Um, so she had like this cat-like agility, presumably from her mother. And the first time we see her fight is to save young Dinah Redman from a very young Aaron Paul, pre-Breaking okay. Bad, in okay. the pilot. Oh, my God. Uh, Ashley Scott played the role then for 13 episodes, and she reprised the role along with uh, Dinah Meyer as Barbara Gordon in Crisis on Infinite Earths for about two minutes. Okay. Uh, or one minute uh, in one of the episodes, but that's uh, that was Birds of Prey. Then we finally get to the 1989 uh, post-Crisis version where they're like, all right, Huntress is no longer the daughter of Batman and Catwoman. She is now Helena Bertinelli, which is yeah. the version in, in the movie. So she was created by Joey Cavalieri and Joe Staten, and it was established that she grew up in a mob family of the Bertinellis, and a masked assassin named Omerta the Silencer killed them. I got to say about this story, too. Yeah. I feel like a lot of the characters can, you can like switch race. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. Catwoman could be Asian or black or whatever. Like yeah. a lot of characters are like that. But yeah. if you're, if you go on this route, pretty much has to be Italian. Yeah, like the way you cast of, him. Unless you specifically say, like, if she's an Asian huntress, that like this was the triad instead of the. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah, but you would. That call, would be cool. That'd be cool too. Honestly, <laughs> you, would, you wouldn't call the, the assassin Omerta the Silencer though. You'd have Omerta to change that the, part the Italian as well. Name, yeah. yeah, yeah. So Omerta the Silencer barges in and kills her family, and in the original version, she was around around college age at the time where yeah. her, parent, her family were killed. Yeah. And it was implied that their family did have a secret fortune. So that's yeah. sort of brought up in the movie. In the original version, Omerta killed the family but kidnapped the father, Guido, <laughs> and uh, took out Guido's eyes and cut off his hands. And they just thought it was some cruel ritual thing. But they find yeah. out later on it's because uh, the man behind it wanted to use the eyes for a retinal scan and the hands for fingerprints in order to access the vault that had the Bertinelli fortune in it. Okay. And then this was also, it was implied that the family's former bodyguard named Sal trained her, okay. uh, which is kind of reflected in the movie. This was, this has been revised a couple of times. So this was revised by Greg Rucka in a story called Batman Huntress, Cry for Blood. This time her family was killed when she was about eight years old. So that's close okay. to the movie. Um, but she was deliberately left alive because of some complication where uh, they were told to leave the woman alive and uh, she was the one who was spared rather than her mom. Okay. So uh, her mom being named Maria is from here. Um, In the credits, Maria Bertinelli is uh, the name of her mom. There's also an Uncle Joe Bertinelli mentioned in the credits, but there isn't anybody named that like that in the comics. Um, And then Huntress Year One by Ivory Madison and Cliff Richards established that she trains with a man named Salvatore Asaro and her uncle Tommaso, which fits the movie because she said that she was trained by two men in Italy. Okay. Um, the man behind it was named Stefano Galante in the movie, and he's a combination of two characters. Uh, Galante in the comics is Helena's godfather, but Stefano Mandragora is the one who was behind the actual hit. Uh, and in the original version, they have a confrontation, and she doesn't end up killing him with a crossbow, but she lets him fall to his death. Is there any uh, thing about why she chooses a crossbow? Like, what's the emotional attachment? I think she was just... That was what she was trained in. That's, okay. That's at least given to me, and also maybe it's the the whole cross idea. 
Oh yeah, you know she yeah. got the cross on her. And that's the other thing it carries over from like yeah, the Italian true. shit, like the yeah, Roman Catholicism. Thing. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Um, unlike the movie, Zaz was not involved in the comics. <laughs> uh, yeah, that I felt like I needed to say that. And then the New Fifty Two had a very different version of her, where she was a spy in the organization called Spiral for lack of a better creative organization. <laughs> but her costume was kind of similar to the one that Mary Elizabeth Winstead wears in the movie where it's kind of more of a casual shirt yeah. with cross on yeah. it as opposed yeah. to a more formal thing with a cape or anything like that. And then obviously the final costume that uh, she wore in the movie is a nod to the one in the comics with the mask and, and the cross. Okay. Um, and then interesting thing is that at one point she took on the Batgirl mantle unauthorized without the permission of Oracle or Batman during No Man's Land. Oh, and shit. Uh, she got stripped of it by Batman so that Barbara could pass it on to Cassandra Cain. So okay. Cassandra Cain, you know, who's also a character in this movie, ends up yeah. taking that, that Batgirl mantle from her. Uh, we saw Helena Bertinelli at a previous time on Arrow, played by actress uh, Jessica DeGal. It's a very different version, but I do think the costume was a lot better on that. Okay. She had the mask. She... Like it looked like a formal costume. She had the yeah. crossbow and everything, and it made sense in this version because it was Oliver who trained her, uh-huh. and Oliver's right. already got the bow and arrow type of thing. Right. So right. it made a lot more sense. I'm like, if anything, that's probably the best take in terms right. of introducing right. that. Um, but in this version, she she wanted to kill her father. Her father was responsible for the death of her fiance, so she vowed revenge, and Oliver helped train her. But because of the whole like, she was so consumed by vengeance type of thing. Yeah, they became antagonists. And uh, she became a villain for a couple episodes of the first season, as well as one episode of the second season that was called Birds of Prey. Oh, yeah. Um, so in that Birds of Prey, when she hunts after her father, she ends up not only fighting Oliver, but also ends up fighting the canary, the original canary played by Sarah Lance. I mean, uh, who is Sarah Lance? Yeah. Um, and so that is the Huntress. Now, funny enough, in real life, uh, the actress who plays the Huntress, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, is uh, currently dating Black Mask, Ewan McGregor. Even though oh, they really? They, even though they didn't really have any scenes together. They met yeah, on the set of uh, Fargo Season 3, I think. Ah. But, yeah. So, that is a perfect segue into Black Mask. Um, the main villain of this, even if we thought maybe he wasn't necessarily the best villain for this, but I think Ewan McGregor did a great job. He did a good job with what he had, you know, what sure. he had, yeah. yeah. Um, just like, he... he um, Zaz also was, I thought, pretty good for yeah. this. Like he was properly creepy, and you know, it felt like they were in a relationship. I don't know. I thought it was done pretty well. <laughs> yeah, he got the scars and everything, and he was just a douche, ba- a sleaze bag. Yeah, you yeah. know. No, I think the, what I liked about McGregor's Black Mask is that he could have easily just played it as like generic mob guy, where he's yeah. just like, yeah, get a hit on them, you know, and everything. Yeah. But like, he was so unpredictable yeah, yeah, in yeah. how he would deliver things Yeah, that I was like, okay, I appreciate this. It's not the black mask in the comics, but I don't really care right now. Cause there, it's, it's there, so enjoyable. That scene where he makes her strip and dance. This, mm-hmm. this random woman in the club. Yeah. That just didn't like, end well like that scene yeah i agree it ends with like she cries but it seems like it seems like maybe more was planned there but yeah, maybe it was there's no punctuation to that scene yeah exactly it could have been much better yeah. uh, but I, I my theory is there was some probably really twisted shit probably written probably but it was yeah. m- probably too much even for an r-rated film like maybe, well, maybe yeah. they could have done it but it would have <laughs> sent, sent the tone <laughs> over the edge 
Maybe, but uh, let's let's talk a bit about the Black Mask of the comic because this is interesting. He was uh, introduced in Bla- Batman three eighty six by Doug Mensch and Tom Mandrake, and it was established that he was dropped as a child. So okay. big fucking surprise. He wanted to wear a mask ever since to hide <laughs> the knot on his head. <laughs> no, it was established. It was more metaphorical. He grew up to a rich family, the Sionises, uh, which is addressed in the movie. And he grew up feeling that he and his parents always had to, quote, unquote, put on a mask to fit into society. Yeah. Or disguise the fact that they secretly hated everyone. Yeah. One of the families that they secretly hated was the Waynes. Yeah. Um, but they still tried to pair up uh, Roman with Bruce. And so they were technically childhood they tried to make them childhood friends. Right. Now, this is kind of reflected because what's interesting is that Ewan McGregor is only one year older than Ben Affleck. Oh, so yeah. they could have yeah. actually done this if they if they, if they they ever did the Ben Affleck Batman movie. Since yeah. I still consider Ben Affleck to be the Batman in this continuity, this doesn't feel like it's tied into... It uh, doesn't feel like the Pattinson one is going to be connected to Birds of Prey it's at all. It's going to be completely different, yeah. Yeah. Um, it is implied in the movie... It's never outright said, but I think a lot of people have taken away the fact that uh, Roman Sionis is gay in this. Um, <laughs> in the comics, he was in love with a woman, though, and uh, her name was Cersei, and she was a model uh, type, and he was in love with her, but his parents wouldn't allow it. Because she was too poor. She was too poor. Yeah, she, she was like, you wouldn't, like, she, she was, like, trying to get interviews at uh, their company, Janus Cosmetics. Yeah. So, they're just like, this can't happen. So, in response to that, he killed his parents. <laughs> oh, my God. In a house fire. Um in the movie, it's implied his father might still be alive, though, because Harley's like, you know, maybe this is some twisted way to get your father's approval. I'm just like, well, she wouldn't say that if it was established that the Sionises were still alive, were uh, were dead. Right. Um, he does run Janus Cosmetics, which is kind of reference the the Janus name is connect is referenced in the thing, um, and it's also referenced in the fact that uh, Roman obviously is into cosmetics. He definitely is wearing eyeliner in a few scenes and is trying to yeah. get Botox. Um, his ideas to run this cosmetic company are basically Black Mask was a terrible businessman. That's his origin, because he <laughs> runs this company into the ground, and because of the Cersei leaves him, and then Bruce Wayne, his rival, steps in to save the company. Um, and Roman feels like this caused him to lose face, quote unquote. Oh my god! Yeah. So okay. he decides to take on a new face and goes to the coffin of his father and breaks it and uses the ebony material to carve a mask. Okay. So the mask is carved from the coffin of his father. Jeez. And he starts a cult called the False Face Society. Um, and everybody wears masks in the False what Face Society. What time period was this? Was he created in? Uh, 80s. Oh, the 80s, okay. 80s or so, yeah. Uh, he's obsessed with masks, and he even has a whole room full of them, which is kind of reflected in the movie when yeah, he's touring. Yeah, they have that Black part down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, where he's like, I got his face in my living room. Ew, I love it. Um <laughs> That was done so well. <laughs> that, that was done so well, man. Uh, and then he tracks down Cersei for leaving him and disfigures her with a mask. Um, and she's disfigured, but she ends up wearing this porcelain mask around her face. Yeah. And if this sounds familiar, it's because That's some 89. speculate... Huh? 89 Joker. Yeah, this, uh, some speculate that this influenced the, the Alicia Hunt story okay. in 89, where it was also a model, and also in the comics, Cersei's place is full of pictures of herself. Ah. And then she gets disfigured by Joker, but she wears the porcelain mask. So uh, it would be a hell of a coincidence if that wasn't an issue. At it's the all time. incestuous, all the writing. In yeah, DC. pretty all, much. All comics. We'll have to ask Sam Ham on Twitter again. Sam Ham, <laughs> Sam please, Ham, please answer us. You might not be down for the podcast, but you can at least answer Twitter questions. <laughs> uh, he did not originally have the skull mask. Okay. So originally it was just like a regular mask. 
Uh, it wasn't until the No Man's Land story, uh, Batman 565. That's the earliest I can find where the art, where he was drawn by Frank Tiron or Tiron. Anyway, it's where it looks like he's a skull. Okay. And then that got carried over into Under the Red Hood and uh, the Catwoman stories by Ed Brubaker. Um, in the comics, Roman feels the need to kill his former self before becoming Black Mask, which is very different because in the movie, he doesn't wear black <laughs> the black mask until the end. I it's, always, it's like he just picks it at random almost. Like, yeah. there's, there's no, like, usually in the comic book movies and, uh, of course, the comics, yeah. you get some really great explanation of why they want the mask. Yeah, All, all we have in Birds of Prey, the movie is he just has a shitload of mass at his place, and, <laughs> and he just one chooses he this one for the last scene. <laughs> yeah, like, it, because of the police captain being, like, you know, the Sionises are the big family of Gotham, yeah. I, I thought, like, oh, so, like, Black Mask, people don't know Black Mask is Roman Sionis. Yeah, and yeah, And that yeah. he conducts business as Black Mask. But then, like, all the other scenes established, like, no, he's pretty much Roman Sionis right. in his club, in right. his meetings, seeing people's faces get sliced off by his ass. I'm just like... Okay, so how is this identity secret? Even at the end, when he dons the mask, I'm just like, maybe his mobster friends don't know. And then yeah. at the end, he's like, me, Roman Sionis, as he yells. <laughs> and I'm just like, never mind. <laughs> never oh mind. Oh, my God, dude. Uh, in the very first Black Mask story, Black Mask gets caught in a fire, and the heat of it causes the mask to fuse to his face. So he can't take it off. Ah. So obviously very different from the, uh, from the movie. Uh, slicing people's faces off is not a thing in the comics but oh, it's yeah. very close because he does love torture so at one point okay. he kidnapped Catwoman's sister and uh, Catwoman's sister-in-law I mean sister-in-law brother-in-law and took out the brother-in-law's eyeballs to feed to Catwoman's sister okay that's how fucking hardcore this guy is um, his original MO would be he would put poison in a mask and put that mask on his victims um, but that would have been cool creepy as fuck been, yeah Maybe uh, not, might be too dark for this this one. Potentially, potentially. Yeah. Um, he was killed, but not by Cassandra Cain or Harley Quinn. He was unceremoniously shot in the head by Catwoman. Uh, Catwoman's just straight up using guns. <laughs> she should, I don't know what Batman felt about that, but uh, she straight up blew his brains out. She doesn't have those rules. She's like, I- I'm done with this. This is terrible. <laughs> um, and then the Black Mask mantle was later taken on by uh, Jeremiah Arkham, the guy who runs Arkham Asylum. Hmm. So very interesting. Uh, Black Mask has not necessarily been seen beforehand in um, live action with the possible exception of Gotham. In Gotham, there was a character named Richard Sionis and an episode called The Mask, same episode where our friend of the podcast, Cole Vallis, appeared. Oh, yeah. Um, and Sionis did wear a mask, was called The Mask, but uh, he was never called Black Mask, and it was never really established whether or not he would go on to become Black Mask. Was it a kid also? No, he was he kid was a grown-ass man. Oh, okay. He was gotcha. a grown-ass man. And then in second season, he gets broken out of Arkham Asylum and then killed by Tabitha Galavan, who was the Gotham version of Tigress. Again, this is incestuous because Tigress yeah. was originally Huntress. So even in Gotham, Huntress is fighting Black Mask. Um, <laughs> the idea oh, of Black Mask's father... Um, uh, I mean, the, the the idea of there having been a previous Black Mask ended up carrying over into the New 52. They adapted the Gotham idea into continuity. Yeah. So in the Gotham con- in the, the Gotham continuity now, they just say, okay, Richard Sionis was the originator yeah. of the False Face Society and wore this mask. And then his son takes over, takes it over from him and kills him in the hospital. 
Right. So he always has had an issue with his family, which is also why in the movie you and McGregor is like fuck family. At that <laughs> point. So oh yeah. yeah, yeah. So that that plays to character. That does. That does. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then we go into his henchman, Mister Zaz. Now, Mr. Zaz, this is the not the first time we've seen Mr. Zaz in live action. We talked about him a little bit in the Batman Begins Deep Dive. By the way, they mentioned Zaz on last podcast on the left and like a, three or four episodes ago. And they're like, one of the guys doesn't know who he is. And the other guy explains, Zaz is the guy that Batman punches first on the way into Arkham Asylum or something. <laughs> 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 He's the guy you punch first before He's you get to, the, to yeah. the main villain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Zaz, uh, this is not the first, yeah, this is the first live action Zaz to look similar to how he was originally drawn. So he yeah, first, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was first appeared in a storyline called "The Last Arkham" uh, by Alan Grant, I believe, and in that he had short blonde hair, um, and he was drawn by Norm Breifogel, and uh, he it was established that he has scars all over his body. So we saw that when he reveals. Totally Harley. saw it. This yeah. is most comic accurate guy in the fucking movie. Probably. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I other mean, we, than Harley, we saw scars in the other versions of Zaz, but I think this guy has the most. Um, yeah, and he hints at like I want to release you. In yeah, terms of killing people. I want to release you from this hollow shell. So that's not something pre- covered in the previous live action versions. The, yeah, I, in the origin by Alan Grant in Batman Chronicles number three, it was revealed that he saw people as like zombies, and it was his purpose to free people of that of the existence. Oh, know? so he's totally fucking whacked out. Oh yeah, no, he's a complete psychopath. Yeah. And a lot of psychopaths think that they're the only ones who are real, and other people yeah. don't really exist. So they're existence doesn't matter i like that i actually did yeah. not know that at all and i'm glad that i have learned that now ben. oh good good, good. <laughs> uh in the origin was interesting enough zaz was wealthy but lost it all in a game up against the penguin oh shit um, okay and then he tried to kill himself but got interrupted by a mugger and zaz ended up turning the knife on the mugger and stabbing him to death and realizing that he got a, that thrill okay out of, out of releasing the mugger from uh the meaningless existence of life so he uh, does end up working for the Jeremiah Arkham, uh, or working with the Jeremiah Arkham version of Black Mask, but not the Roman Sionis version. Okay. Um, it seems that all previous adaptations of Zaz make him some sort of hitman, though, or some sort of okay uh, mob guy working for the mob. Because in the original story, he was just a serial killer who worked on his own. Uh, uh-huh. The first time we saw Zaz was, as we said in Batman Begins, uh, played by Tim Booth. And uh, it was established he was Falcone's hitman. And you saw some tally marks on his neck. Yeah. Um, but they never really explored that because they didn't have time. He didn't have any lines either. But uh, apparently Tim Booth did voice the character for the Batman Begins video game. Okay. That's so cool. he did end up saying lines as the character, but he never really uh, did it in person. Uh, and then Gotham has a very popular version among Gotham fans of Mr. Zaz, uh, played by Anthony Kerrigan, also bald. Um, It's a very different version of Zaz, but he's almost more like Deadshot, where he's just, he has amazing aim. He like shoots a guy's finger off at one point, just as a warning. Um, He's also kind of witty, kind of funny. There's only one episode where you see him unroll his sleeve and use a box cutter to mark himself, Uh the tally mark, and that's it. And it's never seen again after that episode. Yeah. Um, but he seems more adept at using a gun than a knife. And he seems to be... Like, there's a lot of times where he has opportunities to kill Jim Gordon. But he likes Gordon too much that he won't do it. And I'm just Zaz like, likes Gordon. Zaz likes Gordon okay. and stuff. So, I'm like... 
I always thought maybe they were going to have him go further off the deep end and become more like the comic book version and darker, yeah. but they never did that. Yeah. Um, so I would say the Anthony Kerrigan version of, in Gotham is a funny character and a great character, but in terms of adaptation for Zaz, Chris Messina, the one who plays Zaz in this movie, is probably the closest yeah, that, we've yeah, been, yeah. that we've got so far. Uh, and then we have a few Easter eggs when it comes to Gotham City. Uh, the East End was mentioned. Uh, yeah. as like the really bad neighborhood that I think Black Mask is in charge of. And that was mentioned in year one, as well as Robinson Park. That was also mentioned in year one. Uh, that is named after the Batman artist and Joker co-creator Jerry Robinson. Uh, and then the final act takes place at Amusement Mile. Yeah. And Joker's final, Joker one of Joker's hideouts. And that is established, funny enough, in the No Man's Land arc in issue Batman 569, which was the debut of Cassandra Cain as Batgirl, funny enough. Oh, shit. All so right. a lot of great connections here, but uh, that was I know that was a lot, but as you can see, they stayed relatively true, with the exception of Cassandra Cain. I think they stayed yeah, pretty close uh, yeah, to everything. Yeah, pretty close. Uh, considering that uh, this was a story, the story itself wasn't really from the comics. The only thing is, and this is another co-worker of mine, but yeah. but like people go absolutely apeshit whenever the, the costumes are off. But, like, Harley uh, yeah. Quinn's costume is still... Only in that one quick dream sequence. In Suicide Squad, You know yeah. what I mean? And I, I, I agree... Yeah, on Suicide Squad. I agree with you. You, you said this off-air where uh, that costume or her, her, like, red and black outfit is something that she wears when she's in a relationship with Joker. Right, yeah. But, I mean, at the same time, I think... I don't know, man. I, I agree with you to a certain degree, but I do think... I agree with my coworker as well where it's like... You know, you got to give the fans that at least, you know, or at least like an injustice they, version. They should That's, have had her wear that in Suicide Squad. Yeah, in su- yeah, right? Yeah. Something, something. Like, they kind of fucked that up. Like, I do like, <clears throat> I wanted to have different outfits, like zany outfits, but especially when they're, they had, they teed it up, dude. Like, in in the last, the, the, the final act. Finally, when they're looking at what's They the changed, they're like, oh, well, there's costumes here. Let's yeah. change, guys. <laughs> like, I thought, oh, we're going to get it now, and we didn't. No, and I was just no. like, oh, come on, man. We could have had, like, a big mallet. You know, you could have given the fans that everything they ever wanted in life, and you just, it just kind of dropped the ball She's in the gesture outfit. Huntress wears the full-on mask and cape. Yeah. Black Canary's got the fishnets. Just go fucking nuts with and, it. And Montoya's got the hat and trench coat. Yeah, exactly. Maybe she doesn't have the question face yet. Not yet. Maybe, maybe we skip that. She's got the hat and trench coat type of thing. They're they're like, oh, we have a, what was it, like a treasure chest of fucking treasure, costumes? And all it amounted to was like some corset that Montoya wears that stops the bullet. Yes, with her boobs popping out like yeah. a motherfucker. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but uh, other than that, yeah, I don't know, dude. I just thought that was a missed opportunity with this movie. I agree. I, I do like the... Um, I do like it whenever I see the costumes trans, you know, translate onto the on the big screen. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I agree with that. It would have been nice to see Dinah in the, you know, the standard black leather jacket with the... Um, with the fishnets and the boots. But, yeah. You know, it's... We didn't make the movie, so... <laughs> yeah. We'll see. Uh, and, if and they like, ever do a follow-up. Make Huntress comic book accurate, except cover her mid-drift. Yeah, just... The, the Arrow version was perfect with that. Yeah. It was, was yeah. kind of just... It was the comic accurate mask, and the costume covered her from, head from like, bottom of the neck down. Yeah, exactly. Like, it would have been fine. Yeah. It would have been... That's what we need. Yeah. That purple, too, would have been great, you know? Yeah. Uh, the cross... I know it might be overly religious for uh, 
big movie, but like the cross would be cool, you know, like yeah, well, you could Joan also interpret it to, thing. Yeah, you interpret it as crossbow killer too, as yeah, well. Exactly. Yeah, not yeah, just yeah. the cross, um, but I mean that is a factor in the character in terms of why that's there. But yeah, she's you know it's Italian, you know whatever. Like yeah, yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh man, you know. Oh, we're, well. we're sort of bashing it, but it was no, it, better it was than great. That. We we just thought it could have been better, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. It, yeah. It, it is what it is, and what it is is a really fun and great movie that I think uh, you know a lot of DC fans have been enjoying. It's a shame that not a lot of other people have shown up, but hopefully that'll change over time. It'll age well. It'll age yeah. well. Yeah, and I think so. how, how many indeeds do you give this movie um, out of ten? Like a high seven. I give it maybe a seven. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I'm just saying it didn't qu- because of the like how muddled it gets with Harley's story. Yeah. Um, and everything, and it was just like, eh, like it was, it was short of that greatness. I also didn't really think we needed to jump in time as much, uh-huh. where I she gotcha. like stops the whole yeah. police fight thing just so that we yeah. can go back to the Black Canary stuff. I'm like, eh, you could have just gone in order, man. Like, yeah, yeah. Why did we have to do it this way? I would have been fine. Right. So, right. Uh, other than that, yeah, those are the main things, and also the fact that I think it should have been Joker instead of Black Mask. Would have been better. Like, yeah. let's let's tee up uh, Leto Joker one more time. Like, I wouldn't have he minded, didn't get enough. Yeah, I wouldn't have minded him in this one when it's about her story, trying to get away from him. It would have made so much more sense. It would have made, it made a lot more sense, and maybe he would have gotten an opportunity to do more of what he wanted to do with the character under a different direction, and maybe we would have appreciated it more. But I also get that maybe Warner Brothers was like, let's not do that right after. Like right around the same time, we're trying to get Joaquin the Oscar for the same role. I yeah, I <laughs> guess know? so. Yeah. So maybe the time. I mean, I I've said this before with other friends, but maybe the timing of this wasn't great. Like maybe they should have made this right after Suicide Squad, and oh. then do Joker after that. The Suicide Squad. No, no. After after oh, the, oh, the previous yeah. Suicide I Squad. I got you. I got you. Because yeah. that was enough of a hit, even though like reception wise, people were just like, "This movie sucks." It but, actually like, made money. It made money enough that it warranted this movie. So I'm like, you could have done this one as the follow up with Leto's Joker and make that his swan song as the Joker if you really want to get rid of him. Uh, and then you queue up Joaquin's Joker right afterwards. Right, as opposed to like this yeah. weird thing where like Birds of Prey is coming out the same weekend as Joaquin getting the Best Actor yes. uh, award for playing the Joker. It's almost as if they're making it up as they go along. Come to the theater <laughs> to talk about Harley bashing the Joker while also praising Joaquin to get yeah. the Joker award. Yes, yes. <laughs> So it, uh, timing is it wasn't great, but I mean at least there's some version of uh, that's a little closer to the whole idea of the emancipation of her away from Joker in the Harley Quinn animated series. Um, so I would definitely recommend that for anybody who felt who agreed with us that there needed to be a little bit more of a uh, I don't know a backbone to her yeah, uh, to I her story you. when it came yeah. to that. So definitely check that out. Well, thank you for your tutelage once again. Thank you, Ben. Um, yeah, so that's been another fucking awesome episode. Thanks for tuning in. like to point you right on down to patreon.com slash superhousepodcast where you too can join the superhouse, uh, the Shasta, Shasta Army. Army. The yes. Shasta Army. That is our $1 tier. And uh, shout out to Matt Herring, Alicia, and Kuki Noms. Just to name a few, I'm Thunderwolf Drew on Twitter and Instagram. We got Superhouse on all the social media, including including Instagram as Superhouse Pod and Twitter also as Superhouse Pod. <laughs> um, we were uh, no need to be uh, no need to switch it, switch it up between platforms. Indeed, um, but uh, yeah, we've been 
uh, active on both of those. And uh, please follow us on both of those. I am also Ben Juan Ryder on Instagram if you want to see uh, more of my cats. So uh, that is it. <laughs> please send us an audio message yes. uh, to superhousepodcast at gmail.com. I'm super into this, Ben. I'm sorry. No, no, um, go ahead. Open up your phone. You have probably have a voice recorder app on Droid or iPhone, and then record something like "You're now listening to Superhouse," or "You guys fucking rock," or whatever, and we'll put it in, in our episodes. So, uh, yeah, just record that and then send that straight on down to SuperhousePodcast at gmail.com. And I think that's gonna do it this time around. Catch us next week for the Dark Knight Part One. Boom, baby. See ya. Network.